story with me Love who you want to be, who you are Learn these lessons and we'll go far It's story time Story time Story time with Mama G Hello everybody and welcome to Story Time with Mama G I have a fantastic episode for you today because I am interviewing a theatre designer and this isn't any old theatre designer oh no this is Cleo Pettit who is one of the best designers of pantomime sets and scenery that is currently working I am a very big fan of her work and I am very excited that she is able to join me on the podcast today But before we go any further, let me remind you to subscribe to the podcast, give the podcast a comment, leave a review. It's all very helpful. I'm not quite sure how, but I am reliably informed that it is helpful. So please um, subscribe and review the podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget that you can find me on Facebook, Instagram and YouTube. You just need to search for at Namaji Stories and I am very excited because on February the 20th at 2pm I will be live streaming a show via Zoom into your living rooms or wherever you choose to watch. It's called Telling Tales on Telly and it is supporting some venues in the UK. You can book with your local venue so long as that's Stanley Arts or Pride in London or the Key Theatre in Peterborough, the Woodville in Gravesend, and hopefully there will be more venues that we're going to. But uh, keep checking on my social media and we will announce them as soon as we know about them. Now, it is going to be a rather wonderful show. It's going to have new stories that you won't have heard before and some familiar ones. It's going to have new songs. It's going to have some wonderful new costumes. And I'm going to be joined by Katie Pritchard, who is an award-winning comedian. So I am feeling very lucky indeed. And of course, the stories are all going to be about being who you want and loving who you are. I think it's going to be a really special afternoon and we'll be able to share it with people around the country and hopefully in some other countries as well, which is going to be amazing. So head to any of the theatres that are supporting us and book your tickets. I will put links to the ticket sites in the description of this podcast. But now I think it's time for the main event, which is my interview with Cleo Pettit. Enjoy. First of all, let's introduce our guest. So hello, my darling. What's your name and what do you do? Hello, I'm Cleo and I design sets and costumes for pantos and other shows, but a lot of pantos. But a lot of pantos and it is pantomime where I have seen your work, but we will talk about that later, I promise, because I'm a pantomime geek, so I've got some very burning questions for you. But first of all, Cleo, is designing the set and the costumes for theatre. Is this what you wanted to do? No, well, I come from Stratford-on-Avon, so I first saw Shakespeare and I thought, that's what I wanted to do. But it's a good foundation for Panto because it's really good stories and there's all sorts of 
the comedies, there's different dressing up and twins and mishaps and, you know, Panto's just as serious as Shakespeare underneath all the laughs. Absolutely, Cleo. We have a synergy because I completely agree. And I think you have to take pantomime just as seriously as you take Shakespeare as well in order for it to work properly. But in terms of being a designer, was designing theatre your dream when you were little? No, it didn't occur to me. Even though I was looking at all those amazing sets, it never occurred to me you could do that for a job. So what did you want to do when you were little? I thought artist. I didn't know what that meant. So maybe just doing paintings or something. And then I loved the theatre and it never occurred to me to join them together, even though it was right there in front of me all the time. <laughs> and at what point did it occur to you to join the two together? I went to look at an illustration course at Birmingham and saw a, a literally a sign with an arrow that said theatre design. And I, I, I literally followed that arrow that, towards my destination. <laughs> That was a case of right place, right arrow, wasn't it? Yes. Telling yes. you exactly where to go. Now, of course, it's not always that easy. Some of us aren't always given an arrow literally pointing us in the right direction. Yes. And, and just a curious question. Before you realised that theatre design was a thing, when you were going to the theatre as a kid, who do you think created all the scenery? Never occurred to me. I was really focused on the actors, you know, I was in awe of all the actors and I just did, you know, there were some things like um, they did Romeo and Juliet set in modern times and there was a swimming pool on the stage and they drove a sports car onto the stage and it blew my mind. But I still didn't think about that as a job or who might have thought of that. Never occurred to me. Would you say that was a credit to the designer because their design appeared so organic with the production? I think most people are focused on the actors. Yeah, everyone can name actors, but no one can name designers or directors maybe a bit. But it's just, you don't think about it. You take it for granted. Well, yes, you'll be pleased to know that I can name some theatre designers. So, yeah. and, and you're one of them, so I'm very excited to be talking yeah. to you. So let's talk about when you were at school, because I know that a lot of the people listening will still be at school. So how was school for you, Cleo? Um, it was good. I loved art. I lived for it and I did it at home all the time, just always painting and drawing. And, and what sort of art did you do when you were at school or at home? Oh, oh, I've just painted everything. I drew everything. I tell you what, though, I didn't think I was good at maths. And now I realise maths is quite important for art. And that's I wish someone had told me that because you need to scale up. You need to look at different. You need to measure. You need to measure for and do angles especially in yes. theatre design, and I, and I struggle now. Well, because for theatre, it's actually quite important to be able to measure things, isn't it? Yeah, it is, and work so, out percentages. Work out percentages as well, which are things that I'm not good at. So, and when you're at school, and I've seen some videos of it recently with parents that are homeschooling, there's a whole adage with maths especially, especially if you're a creative person, where you say, prove to me how this maths is going to be useful in my life. And here is the evidence. It's Cleo scaling up art to be in the theatre. <laughs> Amazing. So you were at school, you did art at school, you loved art at school, and then you went to university. Yes. Firstly, when you, when you do art, you, you usually do a, a year of foundation after A-levels. Okay. Because 
there's so many different routes you can go with art. You could be a sculptor, a fashion designer, photographer, a graphic artist, mm. computer, you know, there's so many different ways. So they, you do a whole year where you do every different type of art and it's heaven if you like art. It's the be best year ever. So what sort of art did you get to do in that year that you hadn't tried before? Um, well, I think design was really, was really good for me. I really like design where you pull all your references together mm. and, and, then, and then from that you create something like a piece of textile design from all, that might, they might say art deco architecture and then make a piece of clothes from it, you know, a piece item of clothing. And that was amazing. To, to look at the shapes and all that sort of thing. I've never done that before. And now I do costume design, so it's all it's just all part of that. And you went and did a theatre design course? Yeah, three years. And then I did another year and a half masters. It was very Shakespeare based. But uh, if you did a masters, that means you're very clever, Cleo. It, yeah, it means I really stuck at my desk and did. I do. I I do work hard. Absolutely. And when you're trying to uh, achieve you know, your dreams and be happy with your work, you have to work hard at it, unfortunately. Like when people ask me, how do you avoid being nervous when you go on stage? I say, well, I just practice a lot. So I've got no reason to be nervous, which is the answer that nobody wants. <laughs> <laughs> you've done your course, you've done your masters as well. Yeah. And then you're now a theater designer. Yeah. So what happens when you become a professional theater designer? Yeah. You go right to the bottom of the pile. Oh, oh no. <laughs> and have to work your way up from zero, just like actors do, and do all the jobs that don't pay you any money just to get those connections with directors, yeah. blah, 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 and just keep working, working, working. And you need side jobs, unless you just go straight in with a job at the top, which almost nobody does. And, and, I don't know if you want to do that really, because when you start to, you know, at the very, very bottom, you get to meet people who are in the same position to you. And then eventually those people become, you know, the Cameron McIntoshes and Andrew Lloyd Webbers and Ian McKellens and, and you're there with them. Yeah. Hopefully. <laughs> well, they're all older than us, Cleos. <laughs> but, but I'm sure, you know, the, our contemporaries are, we're there with them as well. Yeah. So, you remember what your first job was? My first, well, I was, I did do scenic art as well. So that was my side job. Okay. So I did a lot of that. Oh, well, I mean, I, I got a job in Alaska really early on. Which in Alaska? Really random, yeah. <laughs> because some people from my hometown in Stratford, obviously theatre connections, had done youth, were touring youth theatre. And it's a really long story, but ended up in Alaska doing a sort of summer season, three theatres and just being the designer. And I did that for three summers in a row, which gave me this massive portfolio of work, actual work. And I learned loads, so, and I got paid and I got to go to Alaska. So I have to like sidestep here. What's Alaska like? <laughs> it's, it's, it is, it is quite odd. It's not normal. <laughs> it's, it's America, right? But then it's set in a mountainous region, you know, of really, and it's really remote. Okay. Really remote America, but it's still American life. But it's, everyone's a bit different. They've gone there for odd reasons, like to fish or to hunt 
or for oil or for... so it's the alternative Americans who've moved oh. for the adventure and to see some good well-designed theatre yeah <laughs> <laughs> I had a look at your website just before we started this interview, and I see you've also worked in Bermuda. I have. And on Prince Edward Island, which is near Nova Scotia, which is Canadian. And are they all connected with Alaska or are they something else entirely? I mean, it all ends up connected in some way. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, somebody I work with in, uh, uh, in Alaska recommended me to a director who then went out to Bermuda and... And then I kept the job in Bermuda and then a director from Canada came out to direct a Bermuda musical. And oh. then, took me, you know, it's, life's all connected, isn't it? It's all a, Yes, that's amazing. Web. Yeah. And that's a really good lesson as well, Cleo, because it's, it's very important to be nice to people all the time because yeah. you never know who you're meeting and what opportunities that might lead to. So that's, uh, that you might true. get to go to Bermuda. Yeah, or Nova true. Scotia. Being nice and working hard. <laughs> Being nice and working yeah. hard, absolutely. Neither uh, one without the other would, would work. That's very true, actually. Very true. Yeah. yeah, because people don't want to work with a nasty person and people right. don't want to work with a nice person who's not very good. That's true. That's exactly oh. right. <laughs> so even though she does say it herself, Cleo is nice and hardworking. That's true. <laughs> And we should absolutely put that on our CVs. And yeah. now, I have a slight obsession with Canada. So before we talk about the big subject, how was working in Canada? I loved it. Mm -hmm. It was amazing. Um, it was really how you imagine Canada to be. And it was um, old Irish, sort of, you know, there's a lot of Irish there. Okay. They still, had, they still rode around on horse and carts. <gasps> no <everything>. way. <laughs> and how long were you in Prince, on Prince Edward Island for? I went for two I went twice but maybe a couple of months both times a really mm -hmm. good amount of time to get to know the place oh how wonderful it was um Anne um what's her name the the uh orphan who got adopted in those a books Anna Anna Green, Green Gables. Gables yeah that's where the theatre was in in the um poorest place so we you go there in the day and look at all of the Anna Green Gables sites and then at night it closed and we turned the church into a theatre so you come down the little lane and the little twinkly lights and you know Anna Green Gables family all came to the show and things I mean I mean the author Ellen Montgomery all of her family came I think it might be time for the the big talk Cleo yeah. how did you get involved in pantomime well, firstly, I must say, I saw my first panto when I was about 15, so quite late, and it was in Torquay, because okay. we had a, a hotel in Torquay by then, my parents uh, became Faulty Towers people. Wonderful. And I saw um, the bloke in it, the King Rat, he got stuck on, um, on his pulley thing, and he okay. had to get the crew and everybody had to stop the panto to get everyone on stage to to get him down and everyone was crying <laughs> it's the funniest thing I've ever seen in my entire life so I went back the week later with the guests and it and it was it that happened again no and everyone was crying again and it and that literally changed my life 
because I was like, actually, that's the best theatre I've ever seen in my life because I 100% believed it. That's amazing. Yeah. And that was when I knew I have to get into this. This is this beats everything. Absolutely. So I told everyone I've got to do panto until eventually I did. How do you go about designing a panto? Um, well, I, I like to make it really my own. So mm. I don't look at other pantos. I, I try and make it really exciting for me. And it's always like finding the surround, the world it belongs in, which might be, it could be, it's like, what's the theme? Mm-hmm. Like the Goldilocks we did, and it, the theme was circus. So then great, you can set it in the circus. Really exciting straight yeah. away. And one, we did one at Watford where I said to the director, I'm not feeling it, Jack and the Beanstalk. I, I'm, I'm researching fields and barns. <laughs> And I, I, I can't get excited about fields and barns. She said, okay, well, look, if you can think of somewhere where they might sell milk that isn't a barn, then we can think about it. I said, what about milkshake? So then what about a fairground or a pier or somewhere? She said, okay, let's do that. So then I got to design the whole thing in a fairground. You know, then you've, once you've got the world, then everything just falls into place. How do you approach, because obviously there's not many pantomime stories now, like in the old days there used to be hundreds, but now there's probably about 10 or 15 main ones. How do you approach it once you've done Jack and the Beanstalk in a fairground and then a few years later somebody asked you to do Jack and the Beanstalk again? How do you find a different approach for it? Well, it depends who's asking, because some people just give you the classic panto script with, they just say, a castle the road to the forest, and they give you nothing. And then I just invent it all, and I'm quite pleased because then I do have control. (laughs) Or somebody like Andy Pollard, who I work with a lot at at Greenwich, his imagination is massive, and he will write, this is Aladdin set in Samarkand. I'm like, where's Samarkand? I have to look it up on on Google Maps, (laughs) you know. So some people like him, he's got such an amazing idea of things that it really gives me loads to work from. Uh, I've actually seen a few of the pantomimes at Greenwich. Uh, The last one I saw, I think, was Robinson Crusoe. All right. uh, That went to the Wild West. Yeah, exactly. Which was so cool. Uh, And actually, I I really enjoy watching uh, Andy's pantomimes because they are so out there. They're so imaginative and they're so funny. There was a moment in Robinson Crusoe, I can't remember what was happening, but somebody had to get an injection for some reason. But they That's were the funniest thing you've the ever seen. Thing I've genuinely ever seen. And they were on a boat. And so the boat keeps rocking. And I think this person getting the injections on a wicker chair that's like a seesaw. And the dame, which was Andy, kept injecting himself and parts of herself and parts of her body were going limp. And I think I slid off my chair with laughter. And you know when you just want to shout out, you're laughing so much that you can't breathe and you want to shout, stop. This has to stop immediately because I will die. <laughs> I, I genuinely had that experience and that's I love going to see his shows. I, I watched that. How many times I watched that? Watched that even in dress rehearsal. Cried yeah. every time. I had to blow my nose every time. <laughs> um, so once you've put the designs on paper, uh, 
what happens next in the process of creating a pantomime set? Well, you have to make the model. And so you've got a scale version of the model box mm. that's 25 times smaller than the real thing. And then you start putting the ideas into it in small. So um, I'll put little people in. Yeah. And then I'll muck it up with cardboard and paper just because it, there's loads of changes. So I don't waste all of my time and start making the general shapes. And then you have the meeting with the director and they'll go, oh, I could work with that, but we could do with some stairs there. We could do with this. Oh, I need more space there because I'm doing this big dance number there. So you yeah. move it all around and eventually you agree. And then you go away and make it in cardboard properly, glue it all together. And then when it's really, really agreed, because it usually changes some more times, then you color it. And then if anyone changes their mind, that's when you get upset. <laughs> <laughs> You've got to do it anyway. So this is where the math comes in, because you've had to build a, a version of the set that is a lot smaller. I can't, <laughs> I, can't, I can't even do the maths on that, which is embarrassing, which is considerably smaller than the stage. So you've already been given the measurements of the stage which means you've had to understand yeah. those measurements and then make them 3D measurements. Yeah. And I know that at the Greenwich Theatre, because I have performed there, that's a very awkward stage, isn't it? Because it's like a triangle at the back. It's really awkward. Greenwich Park slices across a quarter of the stage. Which is rude. Yes, it is. And it really affects your design because um, you can't do a normal cross arch because everyone would see... the you just you can't hide yeah. anybody and also the auditorium comes around the side yeah. so those people at the side can see into the wings anyway so it really affects the design so we have to have a revolve because you know we have to change scenery if you didn't have to it wouldn't matter so much yeah and, and then block everything off and then back there once your little triangle is revolved around back there are all these backstage people silently hopefully trying to move <laughs> these massive pieces of scenery and put the next ones in. So when it revolves around, you've got something else. So it's all going on back there, isn't it? So once you've built the small model and you've colored it all in and it's finally been agreed and you've got a bit upset when people have tried to make changes, <laughs> how does it then become the big scenery that we see in the theater? A whole team of people. Well, you have to do technical drawings, which is the maths again. Oh dear. So you have to get, you have to draw the whole thing to scale oh. of one to 25 with all your little measurements and all the different angles and the angles from above, if it's staircases. That's the worst two days ever or three. Then it goes to workshops and then people read those drawings and build from them. They look at your measurements and yeah, they can they, work out precisely what they need to do. Yes, they, they take all the measurements and the bits of model as well, just to make total sense of it, build from that. And then the scenic artists take these coloured bits of model and they, some places they project them, they photocopy them and then project oh. them to help them draw, but you still can't rely on that because the image is warped. So combination of drawing and a bit of projection and a huge space somewhere. And then, I mean, that's a big job. And then that's they a, have to glitter them. They And because your sets are full of glitter. 
And yeah. Cleo's <laughs> eyes glittered at that point as well. And that's a person who loves glitter. Take it from me. And how long does it take for them to create your set? Really long time. I mean, months. And um, I mean, last year, there was one main person, for example, just doing the Dane costumes. This girl, Michelle, she must have spent about four months just making Dane costumes. I mean, you know, it, it is such a big part of most theatre's year, isn't it? Absolutely. You've got to get it just right. So yeah. if it took four months for her to make the Dame costumes and say in Greenwich, the pantomime opens like in November, doesn't it? It opens really, yeah. really early. That's and different there. There's a costume supervisor there, Sage. She farms out all of the Dame costumes, all the costumes. Actually, she does some Dame costumes but she farms out a lot of the different makes to different makers. Okay. And then when you have costume fittings, all the different makers come in and they're all scheduled and timetabled. Gosh. There's so many people work it's on these so things. So exciting, isn't it? Yeah. But, but all the months it's taking, at what point in the year do you start designing the Christmas well, pantomime? I'm having my first meeting next week for Greenwich. <gasps> for Christmas? Yes. Wow. January. That's so early. No, but then in a way we have to get it all settled with what it is. And then mm. that, that's a meeting with Andy in Greenwich. Then he has to go away and write it. We can't do anything till he's written it. I can't design it until it's written. But so at the meeting, will you talk with Andy and the theatre maybe and all discuss your ideas for the show yes, so at yes. least Andy goes away and writes it having half an idea of what you are intending to design yeah and what the budget is and what oh. they think they can promote it it's year round isn't it basically absolutely so when people say pantos just for Christmas first of all they are wrong because pantos are performed all the time now summer Easter but actually pantomime as an industry starts from January and ends in December. So it is a year long industry. It is. Well, yeah. and, and I'm very grateful to it being a year long industry. Otherwise I would just be twiddling my thumbs for most of the year. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we should wrap this up very soon, Cleo, because I don't want to take up too much of your time, but for, for, I've got two more questions. The first question is in terms of pantomime designing, do you have any influences? Number one, Terry Parsons. Oh, I knew you were going to say Terry Parsons. I mean, is it number one to ten is Terry Parsons? <laughs> Absolutely. Now, I, I haven't looked this up recently, but if you get a chance, listeners, put Terry Parsons and pantomime into Google and you'll see some of his beautiful, beautiful set designs. Uh, as beautiful as Cleo's, of course. Uh, I mean, you wouldn't really know why he was my hero because I don't, see that my designs are very similar to his but it's the whole essence of how utterly beautiful his work is is what is the essence of what I try to do. Yes I think there mm -hmm. are actually some quite clear comparisons in your attention to detail and your yes. use of colour and yeah, uh, the imagination it's uh, his work and the glitter. The use of glitter I definitely got from Terry because I actually painted some of his sets. Oh, really? And, yeah, and I glittered them. And I learned to not, you know, old pantos I'd seen where there's just this scattering of glitter, just weak. And Terry Parsons does strips of solid glitter. 
Mm. And that is the way forward, solid glitter to me. That's what I really learned from him. Just, just solid glitter is, it makes you really happy to look at it. Oh, absolutely. In the auditorium and it's shimmering and glittering and it just makes you feel happy before you've even started. You've, you've won. <laughs> absolutely. One of my favourite things as a kid, and I will say as still as an adult, is to sit in an auditorium of a pantomime with a front cloth down and say it says Sleeping Beauty. And the natural movement of the cloth because of people walking behind it and yeah. the way the glitter catches the light. Oh, how lovely. So Terry Parsons is your influence. Hopefully, yeah. if there are some Panto fans listening to this, they'll be very glad to hear that. And my final question is, where can we see your designs and how can we get hold of them for ourselves, Leo? <laughs> That's funny you should ask that. <laughs> I thought so. <laughs> because I've just opened an Etsy site. Wonderful. And you yeah. won't be aware of this, listener, but... I am Cleo's first customer. You are. <laughs> and that is how it came about. So I have some greetings cards from Cleo's designs, which are going to be sent out to friends and family when I can have them leave my flat, which isn't for a while, because I've got to spend some time looking at them. <laughs> uh, what else is available in the shop, Cleo? Um, well, I, I was just doing paintings because I had an exhibition at the Elgiva Theatre here in Chesham. Mm-hmm. But it closed bef almost before it opened. Oh. But so then I was like, right, I've got to make prints, I've got to make cards and try to make something of this. Mm -hmm. And um, they make very nice prints and cards. Then I decided to hand glitter the prints because <sighs> it wasn't right to not have glitter on them. So they're, they're, like, they're nearly as big as the paintings, and but the cards are too small to glitter. Absolutely, that'd they're be very fiddly. But the prints are hand glittered. So the prints are made with love still. That's amazing. Oh. And what's the address for your Etsy shop? Um, Cleo. If you put in Cleo Pettit, all as one, then I come up. Or if you put in Panto or Panto cards or Panto prints, I think I'm the only person doing Panto. Perfect. Found a niche in the market. Let's go for it. Let's all support Cleo <laughs> and make her the Panto Princess of Etsy. And <laughs> how can we follow you and find you on social media? Cleo Pettit Theatre Design on Facebook. It's just Cleo Pettit everywhere because everywhere. nobody else has got my name, which is great. That's amazing, especially when you work oh, in the theatre. No, four T's, Pettit. There you four go. Four T's. Yes. Pettit with four T's. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> and I realise I've I've got one last question and then I will let you go, Cleo. Yeah. What is your ultimate dream in this career? That's easy. It used to be to design at the Royal Shakespeare Company and I've changed. And now it's to design the Palladium Panto. <gasps> to design the Palladium Panto. Well, it's out there now. It's floating around. <laughs> so hopefully... Uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber will be listening and he'll go, I know who I need for next year's show. Well, thank you so much for joining me, Cleo. Bye. <laughs> Thank you.
isn't she amazing? It was so lovely to get to talk to Cleo. Really a hero of mine, along with Terry Parsons, who she mentioned, because it's Terry Parsons whose sets were the first pantomime sets that I ever saw with my own eyes, and they really are something beautiful to behold. And I've got very happy memories of being sat in front of them as a child and then as an adult. And I've seen some great people in front of those Terry Parsons set. that's, that's, that's where I, I uh, first saw Hinge and Bracket as a child. And also I saw Dame Edna Everidge in front of one of his sets. And they are all great big inspirations of mine. So uh, thank you to Terry for inspiring Cleo. And uh, thank you to Cleo for coming on to the podcast. Don't forget to follow her on all of her social media. But now I think it is time for the book of the week. My book of the week is inspired by Cleo as well. Now, at the end of our interview, once I stopped recording, I asked her what her favourite book as a kid was, and she said pretty much anything by Roald Dahl. But I'm not going to choose a Roald Dahl book, although I agree with Cleo, those books are amazing. My particular favourite is of a magic finger. But uh, the book I'm going to choose is one that Cleo actually mentioned in the interview, so I thought it was a nice tie-in. It is L. M. Montgomery's Anne of Green Gables. Now, Anne of Green Gables is a classic children's book. It was written in 1908, so what's that? Like 113 years ago. And Lucy Maud Montgomery, who is the author, known as L.M. Montgomery, she was Canadian, and this series of books is indeed set on Prince Edward Island in Canada, which is where Cleo designed some shows. Uh, now, Anne of the story is an orphan. She's 11 years old, and she's sent to Matthew and Marilla Cuthbert, who are brother and sister, and they intended to adopt a boy. So they actually get Anne by mistake, but they love Anne to pieces once they get to know her and get over the fact that they've been expecting a boy, and that's really part of the story. And then they loved her so much, there are lots and lots and lots of books about Anne of Green Gables. Now, I've actually got all the books, but I've only read the first one, and it's really sort of idyllic. Now, I know you know that I am heavily biased towards Canadian things, but there is a calmness, an expanse, a space, a just a lovely calm quality about the books whilst in fact Anne is quite a naughty person but she's just so lovely and everybody's so nice and isn't that ridiculous Canadians are so nice so so wonderful if you ever want to just be around nice people go to Canada I promise you and if you're listening from Canada thank you and we do appreciate you so much now, I'm just trying to look here about how many books there are in the series. Oh, there is, there's nine books. Nine books in the series. And then, and you see it's set in a, a town called Avonlea, which is a fictional town. And Anne appears in two books about Avonlea. 
but they're not about her. But yes, she's got... Oh, I see, she's got six Anne of Green Gables books. Then there's three books that are about Anne or her friends or family. And then there's two books that are about the town. And you can indeed go to the Green Gables farmhouse, which is in Cavendish in Prince Edward Island. I would dearly love to go. It looks beautiful. It's, it's a farm, you see. Oh, they're all dressing up. Oh, it looks wonderful. And there is also a rather lovely musical of it, which I'm just trying to find here. And the musical is, is what made me aware of the books properly, because I absolutely loved the musical. Maybe it's this one. Nope, not that one. Oh, it doesn't matter. This is not very interesting for you. But my book of the week is Anne of Green Gables. Now, if you'd like to get yourself a copy of Anne of Green Gables or any of the books that I've ever recommended on the podcast that are available this way, then you just need to head to my bookshop.org shop where I have lots of recommended reading lists. And if you click on one of the books from my list, uh, you will be able to buy the book at a discount. You'll be able to support your local independent bookstore and you'll be able to support me as well. Which is rather lovely, isn't it? Right, well, I think that was the book of the week. Thank you so much for joining me for this wonderful podcast with uh, Cleo Pettit and Anne of Green Gables. Next week, I will be interviewing the children's author, Jean Willis, who has written so many books, it's ridiculous, but one of my favourites, which is Frocodile. So if you've ever seen me live and in person, you have probably seen me read this book. Thank you so much for joining me. Don't forget you can find me on Facebook, Instagram and YouTube. Just search for at Namaji Stories. Every Wednesday and Sunday at 6pm UK time, I am live on my Facebook page telling stories and being silly. And every Sunday at 1pm, I am live on Glitter Beam Radio. So do have a listen and I will see you all next week. Bye. It's story time with Mama G. Come and hear a story with me. Love who you want to be, who you are. Learn these lessons and we'll go far. It's story time. Story time. Story time.